Hi, I'm Libby Trickett. This is All That Glitters, my podcast where I sit down with the world's best retired athletes and explore the transition from the bright lights of competition to the real world. A little bit different this week. You guys get me today. She's three parts of a body length in front of world record time. Is she going to make it tonight? She was robbed of it in the duel of the pool, but not tonight. Not tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Libby Trickett is the world record holder at 52.88. Now, Fina, will you recognise this world record? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the All That Glitters podcast. Doing things a little bit different this week because I was very disorganized and life happened, and my child chipped a tooth, and I ran out of interviews <laughs> to release. So, you guys get me today. So, yeah, a little bit different this week. We are doing an Ask Me Anything about my experiences with retirement, my swimming career, uh, and lots of other things that people have sent through on the All That Glitters podcast Instagram account. So if you haven't seen that yet, it's at All That Glitters pod. And last week I put out a call for questions that people might be interested in. And thank you to everybody who asked a question. I was really excited that people actually asked (laughs) some questions. Yeah, so we're going to kind of just roll into it and see where this goes. And yeah, I'm going to start with uh, the first question that I had from Instagram from Livefryer underscore. She has asked how it felt not being awarded the world record at the Jewel in the Pool uh, and did it motivate me to do more, I guess. Um, So for those who don't know, in 2007, I competed at the Jewel in the Pool, which is like a funny little exhibition meet that we used to have between Australia and the US. So it was off the back of the Melbourne World Champs, which was my most successful meet in my swimming career easily. And... In this particular meet, there was an exhibition race, which was the four by one mixed gender relay. So you had two men and two women on each of the teams, so one Australian, one US team. And I was going to be leading off against Michael Phelps. So, you know, he's the GOAT, he's the greatest of all time. He had had his most successful meet to date. This was before he won a million gold medals at the Beijing Olympics the following year. So he had its most successful meet to date. I'd had my most successful meet to date. And we got to race each other in the leadoff leg of the relay. And it was just the best fun. It was so cool to be able to race Michael Phelps. And it was hilarious because before the race, I actually <laughs> was trying to trash talk Michael. And I don't think he understood my Australian humor I don't know (laughs) I was like just shit talking him going I'm gonna take you down man you've got nothing I'm gonna blitz you and I think he was very very confused because he really didn't laugh maybe he just didn't think I was funny I don't know Um, both are very real possibilities and I just had the best fun in that race and I swam out of my skin it was just such an awesome race to be part of the Aussies ended up winning that race, which was really cool. Uh, and I touched the wall. I think it was about three seconds, no, six seconds behind uh, Michael. So it looked like I lost um, my leg by a really long way. But my time was 52.99. And that made me the first woman to ever go sub 53 seconds in the 100 freestyle. 
and it was a world record by about 0.3 of a second. But because it was not a FINA-recognised event at that point, it meant that my world record was not ratified. So it was a pretty wild roller coaster ride for me in terms of emotions because I was obviously stoked with my performance. I was so happy that I did a personal best time and that I had, in my mind, broken the world record. But because they, there was a lot of commentary around me dragging off Michael's bow wave, which may have been the case in the first 50 metres, but certainly in the second 50, I was copping his waves like it was just, yeah, it, it was a lot <laughs> the second part of that race. So, yeah, unfortunately it wasn't ratified and that really, really did disappoint me. I was really upset with that decision and especially – now that they have mixed gender relays as a FINA ratified event, that kind of is a bit frustrating that it wasn't then. But I think at the end of the day, that experience allowed me to realise that I was capable of going sub 53 seconds. I can still say that I was officially and unofficially the first woman to go under 53 seconds in the 100 metres freestyle, which is just unbelievable still in my mind <laughs> that, that I was able to do that. But it definitely motivated me for the next 12 months to try and beat that and beat it outright, and which I got to do at the 2008 uh, Olympic trials. So that was really fun. Okay, uh, next question is from Sammy Sava. And she asks, advice for a young female who is excelling at swimming but doesn't want to be defined by it. Uh, this is a really great question. I think... It, it's really hard not to get defined by your sport and there's been so many conversations around this exact thing through the podcast that we've done so far and the different interviews with different people. It's really hard not to get defined by your sport and something that you do so often. I think it's from my perspective and in my experience, there's a couple of ways that I've tried to work against defining myself as a swimmer. And part of that is to have friends outside of the sport, which it can be really hard because you're spending so much time with your squad and they're the people who are trying to achieve the same things that you have worked towards, that you're working towards as well. And so you, there's a real connection and kinship, I guess, with those people in your squad. But for me, I had, I've had three of my best friends are from school and they met, I met them on the first day of grade eight. And so I've been friends with them since I was 13 years old and they know me in and out. They know me as an athlete. They know me as not as an athlete. They know me before I was any good at swimming and after. And so I think having good friendships outside of your sport is really important. And I think also making a very concerted effort to find something that you're passionate about outside of whatever it is you're doing, whether it is swimming or another sport, go explore, go do internships, go study things, go get a part-time job, just try lots of different things that will allow you to work out who you are outside of sport. And maybe maybe it is within sport, maybe you go into sports administration or into coaching or something like that, but actually start to try and actively try things. Try to try things, that would be ideal. Um, yeah, just actively look for different things that spark your interest because that will I really think that will help make that transition just that little bit easier. All right, Hicks1084 
Uh, what age did you know that you were so talented? Oh, well, thank you. I, I, oh, I don't know. I feel like I loved swimming. Like swimming was my very first love from the moment that I got to swim at my first club night, in my first club night race. I dove in the water and I just felt at home. I felt like that's what I was meant to be doing, which it sounds really weird to think back on that when I was four years old. But I, I swimming I just absolutely fell in love with. So I don't think I realised that I was particularly talented. I just knew that I loved racing. And I think from that I was able to recognize that I did have some talent. I wasn't the most talented person in swimming. Gosh, there are some people who just, you, you cry with the amount of talent that they're born with. It's just incredible to, to see them perform. But for me, I had to really train my body to get up to the standard of, of some of the other athletes that I was racing against, particularly in the junior age groups. And I think once I made the connection between how hard I worked in training and the impact on my performance in a race, that was the real light bulb moment for me. And that was probably around the age of, I want to say 14, 15. That's really when I recognized that I could do something more if I just started working harder in the training pool. So that's probably about that age, I reckon. Bad eggs underscore Benedict asked me, <laughs> did you ever envy an idol in or out of competition? Absolutely. I feel like if people say no to that question, they're lying. Because, <laughs> I, you know, it's such a, such a natural thing to feel envious or jealous even of what other people are doing or achieving. Um, I remember watching Susie O'Neill growing up and she was just – magic to watch in the water. Um, Inga de Braun from uh, the Netherlands in the 2000 Olympics, you know, she won the the 50 and 100 freestyle and the 100 butterfly in, I'm pretty sure all of the were world record times. And I just remember watching that, just thinking how much like that would just be my ultimate dream. So yeah, I think that kind of on some level motivated me. I mean, when it came to when I was actually swimming, hell yeah, because, I mean, I remember watching Jody absolutely crush it, Jody Henry crush it at the 2004 Athens Olympics, and I was so jealous. I was so envious of what she was able to achieve there. You know, three gold medals, three world records, just it felt like, and I know that this is not the case, but at the time it felt like it just all happened, you know, for it. Just she didn't even try and she got these – gold medals and these world records and that was everything that I could have dreamed to achieve. Um, so, yeah, definitely totally was jealous and envious. You know, even even this year watching the 2021 Tokyo Olympics, I saw Emma McKeon win the 50 and 100 freestyle uh, double gold medals. Like that is – like I still get that twinge of – envy because you know it's such an amazing achievement and something that I wanted for so long and I wasn't able to achieve so I think it's really natural to have those feelings but it's understanding how you can channel that energy into a more positive state rather than you know anger or bitterness or resentment about the other person or yourself I think it's really important to be able to channel that and understand and recognize those feelings and then channel it into something really positive 
And for me, you know, watching Jodie do what she did in 2004, I was able to channel that energy and put it into what I wanted to get out of the sport. And, you know, that allowed me to go on and have a very successful career. And I know that without my competition with with Jodie or with Jess Shipper or Natalie Coughlin from the US, without these amazing athletes that I got to race against, I wouldn't be the athlete that I was. I wouldn't have been able to achieve what I did. So it's making sure you use that energy in a positive way rather than a negative way. All right, next question. I don't know how to pronounce this. It's either Thevo5 or the Ivo5. <laughs> One of the two. Um, what is the most rewarding thing I've done since retiring? That's a really good question. Two, two things that are the most re- re- rewarding. I have to say having kids, obviously. Um, having my three little girls is, you know, I, I hate saying it because I remember hearing this when I first started having kids and I used to hate it because I'm like, I just don't understand what it means. They're the best and the hardest thing that I have ever done in my life. I'm like, but what does that mean? And for me, that means they have forced me to evolve into a better human, which is really painful at times. You know, the gosh, the sleep deprivation, what your body goes through in pregnancy, in birth, uh, in breastfeeding, all that stuff is just super intense, let alone all of the emotional stuff that comes along with all of that experience as well. So they're so much fun now. My youngest is almost two and, yeah, it's good fun. They're still fucking hard at times. But, yeah, I feel like I'm getting more comfortable in my role as a mother and that's something that I'm really proud of. Uh, And I do find that really rewarding when I see them grow as humans. That's just everything um, that I hoped parenthood would be. Uh, And then I think the most rewarding thing that I've done outside of family is the work that I've been doing around mental health. And now that I'm studying a Bachelor of Counselling, Oh, that's, I feel like just normalizing conversations around mental health for me. Starting this podcast is part of that. And yeah, I'm really, I feel really good hearing from people who feel better because of, you know, something that I've spoken about and, you know, might make them feel more normal in their experiences. And that's, that's everything that I want to be in this life and in this world now. So that's something that I'm really proud of. Next question, Maddie Watto has asked, did you have any pre-race superstitions or rituals? Yes, absolutely. I, before every competition, I would make two pairs of brand new goggles. I would wear a new cap for every competition. I would wear a brand new suit before every semi-final and final. Back in the days when I used to get given togs, that was great. And preparation for every competition I'd basically eat all of the same things all of the time because I knew my stomach tolerated them and my (laughs) my last kind of pre-race ritual was I would swing my right arm four times swing my left arm four times and then I'd swing both arms four times and then I'd do three jumps two small ones and then one big one all while repeating my power phrases in my head and my power phrase was I'm strong I'm fit I'm healthy therefore I'm fast which I started in actually actually I started that in 2003 before the world championships which was my first Australian team and I was actually really really sick at the time I had bronchitis 
And so my, my coach, Stefan, and I kind of implemented this power phrase concept to distract me from all the what-if thoughts and negativity that I could naturally be drawn to. And so we started doing that. I'm strong, I'm fit, I'm healthy, therefore I'm fast. And that evolved in 2006 when I kept worrying about what Trudy Henry was doing in the lane next to me and Alice Mills. Gosh, they were fast people. And so I needed to make sure I came back to my why, which was no doubts, no regrets. I'm just here to have fun because swimming to me was just fun. It was just such a joy to be able to be in the water, to race, to compete for my country. And I just wanted to remind myself of that outside of the pressure and expectation that you can place on yourself. Maddie, what I also asked, what is your favourite motivational quote? And that's an easy one for me. Uh, It's, they never said it would be easy. They just said it would be worth it. Carla Leo asked, how were your relationships with family, friends, swimmers impacted and did any surprise you? I assume, I'm going to assume this is in retirement. Um, I guess your relationships naturally change and evolve over time whether that's transitioning out of school or into different job roles, um, into parenthood, your relationships are constantly changing regardless of what it is you're doing in your life. And that was obviously the case into retirement. I know that at first I found it weird because the people that I spent all of my time around I no longer spent any time with because they were most often still swimming So that was really hard to not see those people every single day. Transitioning into like a workplace for the first time was really weird because, I don't know, it just feels like not everyone has that kind of, and this sounds really wanky, but not everyone has that high performance mentality and a lot of people are just like, yeah, just tick in a box. That's what they're doing today. And so that can be really frustrating but it's even more frustrating when you feel really shit at what you do. So you can't kind of comment on what they're doing because, you know, you're really crappy (laughs) at your new job. Um, And I definitely found that in my transition. But I think with family and friends, it was hard because, you know, they would often talk about how training was going, what's the next, next competition. And then all of a sudden those conversations don't happen anymore because you don't, you're not doing it. And so it's hard to navigate those com- um, conversations when you're they're like, so what are you up to now? And I had nothing to say. That was really such a difficult part of that transition because you just feel like you can't contribute to conversations. And I get really good at asking questions, which is partly probably why I started a podcast, so I could ask more questions. But yeah, that's something that I found really difficult in that transition. Here, Shep, here underscore Shep has asked what race meant the most to you? I mean, that's such a good question because it's something that I like to ask people who I have on the podcast because often the race that people assume would mean the most to you isn't necessarily the case. So for me, I'm sure people would assume that my individual gold medal uh, in Beijing in the 100 Butterfly would probably be my favourite race or the race that meant the most to me, which, you know, on some level it is. It's the one that you dream about. It's the one that you hope to achieve one day. It's the one that you are working towards constantly for the better part of a decade. And, you know, the fact that I was able to do it 
and execute my race plan that day as best as I could and come away with the gold medal was just it's it's hard to go past that but I think probably my my favorite race was in in, in no one would remember this but uh, it was the four by two relay in at the World Short Course Championships in two thousand and six and I was uh, I was anchoring that particular team and I'd had a pretty good meet um, to that point but I wasn't naturally a 200 meter swimmer so for me to kind of uh, extend myself to the 200 distance was challenging and to know that I was anchoring the team and had the responsibility of bringing us home was a lot of pressure um and obviously I wanted to do a really good job for, for my team. But this was coming off the back of a really hard six days of competition at the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne. And I also, between the Commonwealth Games and the World Short Courts Championships, there's probably about two weeks. And in that two-week period, I had seemingly tested positive for um, a high, high levels of testosterone which I then had to plead my case, basically say that these are my natural levels of testosterone and show all of the results from when I was 15 all the way through to that stage when I was 21. And so it was a really emotional two-week period. I, you know, constantly worried that the media was going to pick up on it and, you know, basically tell everyone that I was a drug cheat and... Um, yeah, so it was a really, really difficult two-week period between the Commonwealth Games and the World Championships, World Short Course Championships. And so I stood up behind the blocks and I wanted to do a great job for, for the team and we were neck and neck with China. We were just touching behind China um, when I dove in and I just – swam with every ounce of my being <laughs> in this particular race and my strength is my my skills so the starts turns finishes so short course is really my jam I loved it loved racing short course as much as I could but 200 meters is a really long way for me so I needed to make sure that I, I raced it to perfection like I couldn't go out too hard otherwise I'd die on the ass so I remember pushing off for the last 25 and myself and um, the Chinese swimmer were absolutely neck and neck and managed to just touch her out on the wall. But uh, being in China, the World Short Course Championships were being held in China that year. The crowd erupted because they thought that they had won, but it turned out that I, I think I touched the wall by 0.02 of a second ahead of the Chinese swimmer and then it felt like time stopped and the crowd just went silent and I felt like you could hear a pin drop and it was just the most magical feeling to touch the wall first and kind of be that in that underdog position and do something that was really special off the back of what was a really emotionally roller coaster two weeks three weeks four weeks probably a month of time so that was just just the best. And I had a friend of mine who I was training with, a squad mate, Christian Springer. He texted me after that race and just said how proud he was of that performance. And I don't know. I think that moment for me was just, it was so personal and so intimate and so to prove to myself that I could do hard things, I guess, um, and perform better than I expected and 
to have that seen by someone who is close to me and, and you know, whose opinion that I really value was really special. So um, I think that was my favourite race and that's the one that meant the most to me. Gail Galea in Vegas. Sorry, I'm sure I've pronounced that wrong. Um, what physical and mental differences did you experience when you retired? Oh, heaps. Fucking heaps. So many differences that I experienced post-swimming. Uh, I think, gosh, I don't even know where to start. I think mentally going from training 35 hours a week to doing zero really impacts you mentally because you're not getting those hits of dopamine, um, those serotonin, lovely, happy hormones that come through when you are training that much. And I think for me, masked a lot of my mental illness. Yeah, I think that was really surprising. So I retired for the first time in 2009 and went from doing 35 hours a week to doing absolutely nothing for a period of 10 months. And I I fell very quickly into a depression during that time. It was a really difficult thing physically because I was, although I wasn't training 35 hours a week, I was eating as though I was still training 35 hours a week. So I put on 10 kilos within a very short period of time as well. So physically you're looking different, physically you're feeling different, mentally you're feeling different. So I mean, that's one of the biggest reasons I went back to swimming is because I felt like I needed a familiar challenge. I wanted to go back into my comfort zone. I wanted to have the black and white goals. I wanted to feel physically fit and strong again. And I wanted to have all of those beautiful hormones that course through your body when you're doing a lot of exercise. So that was a really big difference for me. But one of the biggest changes physically and mentally is obviously parenthood, pregnancy, birth is all such a, it's a wild ride. (laughs) Let me just say that. It is a wild ride and you have to accept your body in all of its different shapes and phases that you go through. And now that I'm done having kids and, you know, my youngest is almost two, it's such a relief to know that I don't have to go through that again for sure. Um, But I'm also really proud of my body. My body has been able to do things like win Olympic gold medals and break world records and it's also been able to grow three human beings and have two natural births and one through the sunroof. Um, And, you know, I've been able to still – I've run a half marathon and I lift 60 kilos of weights when I squat and I do really cool things with my body still. So it's something that I'm really proud of now. But yeah, it takes a lot of time and a lot of intentional work to accept your body and accept what it looks like and accept what it can do because that does take a little time to to transition into as well. But I think mentally has been the biggest shift for me and I recognize now that I do need a very high amount of regular exercise to keep me mentally happy and healthy. Our next question is from underscore Ellie underscore Collins. What do you girls know about your career? Nothing to be, well, I think Poppy, my oldest, she's six now and with the Olympics having just been on she's starting to get it a little bit. And I think a couple of kids at school have started to say that your mum used to swim at the Olympics. But to be honest, they don't really give a shit. (laughs) They don't care. They like playing with the medals. They think that's kind of fun and shiny. 
Um, not that they get to play with the Olympic medals that much, but other medals that we have just lying around because, you know, you just have medals lying around, as you do. Um, they like to play with those, which is really, really quite funny. But, yeah, I don't know that it will ever – I think I'll just be mum to them for a really long time, So, which is, which is nice, to be honest. Uh, Ellie Collins also asked, did you struggle with fertility after being an elite athlete for so long? I don't know if I struggled because of being an elite athlete – I wonder if I was an elite athlete because I had a sin. Um, it's called polycystic ovarian syndrome. So one of the symptoms or signs of that is elevated testosterone, and that is certainly something that I have had. And I wonder if that impacted my swimming because I was able to recover more quickly. I, I'm naturally stronger and more flexible than a lot of my other female athletes, or as definitely stronger than you know a general woman in the general population. It didn't so much impact my experience with Poppy, but it took me over 12 months to fall pregnant with Eddie, uh, which required rounds of, of Clomid and fertility assistance. So I don't know whether being an elite athlete impacted my fertility or whether that, that was just happening and I would have had it anyway. And another question, how did your husband feel about your success? That's a really interesting question because – um, for people who don't know, I met Luke through swimming. So in 2002, we met on our first junior Australian team. We went and competed at the Oceana Championships in Numia. And it was, I mean, we laugh about it now, but at the time Luke was the, he was the swimmer of the meet at that competition. He broke multiple Oceana records, was winning everything, um, didn't, excellent job at that particular meet and I I did well I I think I got one gold and a couple of minor medals but yeah he was like he was it at that particular meet and then within 12 months I'd made my first Australian team and within two years I'd broken a world record and um yeah sort of my career just absolutely accelerated over the next couple of years whereas Luke's unfortunately didn't quite reach the levels that he would have wanted to and aspired to he wanted to be on the Australian team he wanted to be going to the Olympics and things like that so it was a thing that we had to navigate as a as a couple you know because I obviously wanted desperately for him to have the success that he wanted to have in his swimming and wasn't quite able to execute on for you know for me without Luke I wouldn't have learnt to train as hard as I did without him because he showed me what he was capable of in terms of training and just grinding and pushing his body constantly during training and unfortunately he just wasn't able to execute when it came to racing whereas I loved racing I loved I thrived in that situation and you know I really had to learn the other part I had to learn to love training and and what that would mean and impact on my my racing so yeah, it was really hard to sort of navigate that and I think he would be the first to say that, you know, there were obviously moments of, uh, I don't know if jealousy is the right word, but, you know, certainly wanting to do what I was doing and he had to kind of, uh, I guess, navigate that and navigate supporting me through all of the things that I was doing and he wanted to do. But I think for him particularly, he's gone on to have a really successful career outside of s- swimming. And again, I think he would be the first to say 
everything that he learnt from his swimming career, everything he was able to, I guess, draw on has massively impacted in a positive way his life after sport and his career post-swimming. So, yeah, it's yeah, it definitely something that we had to navigate for sure. And another actual question re- related to, to Luke is from Rhea McIntyre. Did having your husband transition out of the same sport help you find your feet after retirement? 100% yes. I think for me, having someone who gets it, who, well, I, I, I don't think I could have found a partner outside of the sport to begin with, but someone who understood, you know, getting up at 5am every morning, week in and week out for 50 weeks a year, traveling, pushing your body, not going out and drinking on weekends, having a really boring, simple lifestyle. I don't think anyone else would have understood. And I think it would have been really hard for me to navigate a relationship. So on that level, it was so important for me to have someone who got it. But Luke retired before I did. And he found his feet straight away. It's like he just knew what he was going to go into. He studied economics with a major in finance at university and he went straight into um, working in his own fund um, straight off the back of swimming. And it's just like he just knew what he wanted to do and was passionate about outside of the sport. And so it was really nice to see someone do it well, like do retirement well and – so it made that, I guess, more real to me. Like that was a possibility that I could find something that I loved outside of the sport, that I could be passionate about something outside of swimming eventually. It was kind of annoying that he did it so well because, you know, it took me eight years to find what I wanted to do, um, whereas Luke kind of just went straight into it. But it's really nice to see the good news stories about people who do transition into retirement well. Um, because that makes it very possible and it's not all doom and gloom. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it doesn't mean that it has to be, you know, some of the hardest times in your life. Uh, Favourite competitive race against from Chris O'Brien. I have to say, well, I, I was really lucky in my time as a swimmer because the best people in the world were in Australia. So... I'm talking about Jodie Henry, Alice Mills, um, Jessica Shipper. You know, we had literally the world's best at in our backyard. And again, I said this earlier, but the reason that I was the athlete that I was was because of these amazing swimmers that I had to compete against just to get on the Australian team. They motivated me thinking about what they were doing in their training pools every single day. They motivated me just thinking about getting to be part of the relays with them. Yeah, so I think for me, those were my favourite people to race against as much as I hated racing against them because <laughs> they're very intimidating as well. And I, just a kind of a throwback in 2004, I got to race against Inga de Brown. So seeing her in, in the Sydney 2000 Olympics, absolutely dominating and then four years later getting to race against her in the 50 freestyle. Yeah, that was like an absolute dream come true. Getting to be on the podium, sharing the podium with her that year was re- absolutely remarkable. So ah, Natalie Coughlin, Jenny Thompson, gosh, there's so many. Britta Stefan. There were so many athletes that I absolutely loved to compete against and hated competing against but also loving competing against. All right. So this is coming from my now my personal page, Libby underscore Trickett. Uh, Westy, 
1107 has asked, does the magnitude of success hit at the time or only once you retire? Uh, so, Westy, the reason that I partly put down why I was able to achieve what I did in my swimming is because I never thought I was good enough. <laughs> so, at the time that I retired, it I just it never felt like enough. It never felt like I had achieved um, remarkable things. I always could have achieved more. So it's been a real process for me post-swimming to understand that what I did was actually really cool and to not dump on myself any time, any opportunity that I could about any of the performances that I feel like I really disappointed myself in. So. Uh, and I'm probably talking about two particular races at the Beijing Olympics, which was the 100 metres freestyle and the 50 metres freestyle in 2008. Um, oh gosh, it was just, it was one of those moments where you just wish things went slightly differently and they didn't and you can't ever change that and you are never going to get that moment back or that opportunity back. And that is really hard to process and it's really hard to, I don't know, on some level forgive yourself. That probably sounds a bit too much, but, you know, on some level you really have to kind of forgive yourself for that moment, for not doing what you were, what you felt like you were able to execute. So, you know, I went from swimming – what I felt like was an almost perfect race. You know, we all aim to swim these perfect races, but, you know, in the Hunter Butterfly, my race process was exactly what I trained my body to do, is exactly what I wanted to execute on that day. And I was able to do it. I was able to do that as best as I could and I got the result that I wanted, including a personal best time, which was just amazing. But then your brain does funny things and I kind of went into this mindset of, oh, you know, I'm going to – everything's going to be easy. Everything's going to just work out. And it's not that I got complacent, but probably on some level of spectrum I was on the complacent spectrum. And I just, you know, tried to take my foot off the accelerator in the 100 semifinal. And, I, you know, basically I fucked up that race, didn't see one of the girls in the outside lane, ended up placing – fourth in my semi-final had to wait for the second semi-final to be raced and I ended up placing ninth by 0.09 of a second so technically missed the final which is exactly exactly the situation that I was in in 2004 I came ninth by 0.09 of a second man the universe sucks sometimes but I also think it takes those moments to kind of slap you upside the head and, yeah, uh, the only reason I got to swim in the final in the 100 freestyle in 2008 was because one of the Chinese girls got disqualified. She false started and I got an opportunity and somehow I had to navigate that over the next 24 hours, navigate my disappointment and, unfortunately, I wasn't able to do that. I was – I spiralled into this negative vortex of – how unbelievably shit I was, which obviously now I can recognise that that is not the case. But at the time, I could not get out of that spiral. And, you know, when it came to the 100 freestyle semi-final, I 
I raced. I I can now see that I did the best, the very best that I could off the back of what was a ridiculous 24 hours. Um, but the, the long and the short of it is that I executed my race in the worst possible way. I, it was this possibly the shittest race that I did at any level of competition since making the Australian team and, you know, completely went out too hard. I spun the wheels. I got to the 35-metre mark and was like, oh, my God, my legs are like lead. And for one, if you if you remember what you think at any point during a race, you're probably not going to be swimming very well, let alone having a negative thought. So, um, you know, I turned at the 50-metre mark. It was just so hard to push off the wall. At 75 metres, I felt like I was pulling a grand piano behind me. And at 98 metres, I felt like I literally stopped in the water. (laughs) And I touched the wall and I got second by 0.04 of a second. So for that um, race, I've just felt like I – gosh, there's just so many what-ifs that you can play in your mind – got silver by 0.04 of a second like that's absolutely nothing like if I even came close to executing the race that I wanted to that day you know what would have happened and you know if you race your best race if you do a perfect race and you still come second then you can't be upset about that you kind of can't do the what if but knowing that I executed so poorly and got second by such a small margin was really a lot to navigate and then a couple of days later in the 50 freestyle I did the best that I could but I placed fourth I didn't even medal <sighs> so I think yeah that long story short you are constantly feeling like you're never enough so it's taken me a good eight years of processing those races and those events and I remember watching the 2016 Olympics and starting to recognise that silver at an Olympic Games is fucking cool and I'm something that I'm so incredibly proud of now. And, you know, after watching the 2021 Tokyo Olympics, it was like this com- weird combination of being so unbelievably proud of what I was able to achieve and that I was even part of the Australian team for as long as I was and, you know, getting the opportunity to race at three Olympic Games. And, you know, being really jealous of Emma McKeon and Kaylee McEwen and Ariane Titmus, like these amazing strong women who won multiple gold medals. Like, oh, this is just so cool to watch. Um, you know, totally jealous but not in a negative way. Like it's just a feeling that, oh, gosh, I wish I could have done that or this or whatever it might be. But it's less negative and less detrimental to my feeling about myself so it takes a long time for me it's taken a long time for me to understand what I've been able to achieve and be really proud of that long story short (laughs) gosh I waffle Thievo again or the Ivo five asks do you ever wish you'd tried to go to another Olympics slash com games 100% yes so after London when I came back and made my third Olympic games I got to swim in a relay there I had the privilege of performing in the heats and helping the team get through to the final. Um, again, something that I've been able to be proud of now. Not so much at the time, but certainly now I'm really proud of that achievement. 
And I had every intention on going on to Rio in 2016. I really wanted to be part of a fourth Olympic Games, you know, follow in Liesl Jones's footsteps and um, become a four-time Olympian. But again, the world works in mysterious ways. The universe kind of leads you down the path that you are meant to go. And I ended up having a serious wrist injury. I had a full scapholunate tear of a ligament in my wrist, which required a full wrist reconstruction. And after being out of the pool for 12 months with my retirement and taking a, at least another 10 months of recovery time to rehabilitate my wrist, I just knew that it wasn't possible at the age of 27, 28 to kind of get back to the level that I wanted to. Also, a couple of athletes by the name of Kate and Bronte Campbell were coming through and, you know, uh, I kind of had to check my ego and realise that I probably wouldn't be able to mix it with those guys anymore, which was really hard to kind of be honest with yourself about. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I feel like it was a blessing in disguise now because I don't know if I ever would have been able to come to that decision on my own. I felt like it was the universe's way of going, it's time to move on. Um, you're ready for this. And it kind of forced me down that path. And, yeah, I'm kind of grateful for that now. At the time, pretty frustrating, but now I'm able to recognise that that was a positive thing. How often, Timori91 asks, how often do I still swim laps? I've actually just joined a master squad, which is just the best fun. Again, you kind of have to check your ego at the door and realise that there was your swimming PBs and then post-life swimming PBs. So it's really <laughs> – I mean, I'm so slow. I'm so slow compared to what I used to be. But it's such a novelty to be able to, during the session, as a master swimmer, go, I'm just going to put my fins on just because I can. Or I even thought about it the other day. I rocked up to my session and was like, I could just go home if I wanted. I don't have to get in the pool. I can turn off my alarm and it doesn't really matter. That's still a real novelty to me eight years later. Underscore Magic Mickey. How come you don't teach swimming like coaching or learn to swim? I would be a fucking terrible coach. Just terrible. I would be so bad. I am an incredibly impatient person. I would probably just get angry at the kids all of the time. Just be like, just do it. Like I did this, you do it. You're fine. You'll be fine. Just hurry up and just listen to what I say and just do what I say. Um, I always say that I'm a very coachable athlete. So I loved being told exactly what to do, how to do it, and I will crush it. I will do what you want and I will go beyond that. But if I had to, if I was tasked with setting myself as a session by myself and doing it, um, I just wouldn't be able to. I wouldn't be able to execute on that. I'd need to be kind of held accountable and have to really take responsibility uh, for my swimming. And then I'm able to kind of go beyond that. But, yeah, if I, was ha if I had to come up with it myself, I, yeah, that wouldn't be good for anybody. So, yeah, I wouldn't be a very good coach, I don't think. Just to finish on a light one, I reckon. Melda 72, sunshine or rain, sunshine, burgers or pizza. Ooh, that's a hard one, but probably burgers at this point in my life. 
morning or night, definitely morning. Coffee or tea, can I have both, but mostly coffee and Diet Coke probably. Books or music, probably music, but I wish I was into books more. So yeah. Uh, I'm hoping in the next few weeks to kind of do my proper retirement story for anyone who might be interested. Um, But yeah, if you have any more questions or ideas about people that you might be interested in hearing from, make sure you head to my direct messages at All That Glitters Pod um, and make your suggestion there. I really appreciate everyone who sends through their suggestions. And yeah, otherwise, I hope everyone has a a wonderful week. I will try to be a bit more professional next week, I promise. Oh, um, the other things. Rate, review, subscribe, um, share with your friends. That would be really great. Yeah, I always get such a thrill seeing that people listen. I really appreciate it because I I just feel really passionate about sharing these conversations around big life transitions and um, normalizing mental health conversations. So thanks again for listening and I will talk to you next week. Bye.